Good morning, everyone. If you guys don't know me, my name is Brian, but yeah, thanks, Eli. There. <laughs> my name is Brian Cobley. I'm the family, family ministry director here at Arbor. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on the life and way of Jesus, where we have been following the gospel of Mark, so we as a community, as a church, and followers of Jesus can be shaped by the life of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be continuing uh, where Scott left off last week, where we're going to be looking at the parable narratives that Jesus had for a very large crowd and his disciples. So we'll be in Mark chapter 4, if you, if you guys want to get there. But I want to start, I want to ask you a question that's actually been on my mind about me lately as I've been trying to grow as a preacher. And my question for you is, does anything come natural to you? Like, does anything, like, in your life, do you just have, like, a God-given ability for something? You know, sleep? <laughs> you know what? I thought I didn't have anything, but I'll take that. I, I, do, love, I do love sleeping. I do love naps. Um, Kate is actually out of the nap stage, and my life has been miserable since. Um, but honestly, I, I, I played sports growing up. And uh, I played basketball, played football. And nothing came natural to me. Like nothing. I had, I had a, uh, a kid on my team where when it came to basketball, this kid just, he got it. Like basketball was the easiest thing for him. It didn't matter where he was out on the court. It didn't matter how many people were defending him. It didn't matter how hard he got hit. That kid could just put that ball in the basket. Like I saw one game, he got hit so hard, he fell. And right before he hit the ground, he just tossed it up hit the ground, slid, and the ball just like sunk right in. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I'm excited you're on my team, but this is frustrating. <laughs> like, for me, I was terrible at basketball starting off. Like, I first played basketball in middle school, and, and we would show up to school. It would be like a pickup game, and there would be like 20 of us playing. So it was like 10 on, 10 on 10. And every single time, I was the last person picked. The last person, which if you know out of 20 people, you're not really the last picked. You're just kind of like, someone's like, oh, I guess I guess I got Brian. <laughs> and that was me. Like every day, it was just a reminder that you are terrible at this. But I tried, man. I tried so hard. And it took, it took years to just make a layup that, like a layup. Like I didn't have to overthink a layup. But I was, I was terrible, terrible at it. And I honestly think that nothing has come natural to me. And you might be a person that said, you know, Brian, I think preaching has come natural to you. And I would say to that, thank you, mom. But no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if this has come natural. I've taken like six preaching classes in my life, so I hope I may have been able to learn something from these preaching classes. But nothing, nothing has come easy to me. I feel like I've had to work hard at every single thing I've done. Even, even being a husband, a father, a friend, a family ministry director, it is something that I have had to work on to just feel like I'm good at it. So that would be a fun question for you guys as you're going home or after this message to, to really think about, does, does something come natural to you or do you feel like that you work hard for everything? Now I want to ask another question that I don't really know the answer to. I have an opinion that I'll share, but my question is this, something to discuss. Do you think you can be a nat natural at being a Christian? Like you are, you are, it's a God-given talent to be good at Christianity. That's, <laughs> now I, I can say this because some of you are like, well, you know, I think we are, we are made and created to worship 
Christ, worship God. So when we are born, we are made to worship. I would agree with that. But what I'm asking is like, do you think I can come up here and say to you, uh, following Jesus, listening to Jesus, that's so easy. Like, it doesn't take any work at all. I don't think so. <laughs> I really think if someone's saying that, you might, you might want to check your heart there. But see, I really think, I don't think it comes natural. But I do think after years of working on it, like things can come a little easier. But honestly, I do feel like when I became a, first became a Christian, it felt a lot easier than like where I am now. I do feel like as you continue in Christianity, maybe it doesn't get easier. Maybe, maybe convictions get a little deeper as you continue on this journey. I would love to hear your opinion on that after the words as well. But see, I do think following Jesus doesn't come natural. I think our natural tendency is to go the other way, to kind of run or push back or fight or even ignore. And Arbor students, um, our student ministry here, we've actually been talking about how difficult it can be to understand Jesus, to, to listen to his words, listen to his teachings. We just, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, which on our side of the resurrection, it's kind of easy to understand what Jesus is saying. He tells Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be reborn. Now, we understand what that means. But for a literal person in Nicodemus, where he's looking at Jesus saying, how does a person become reborn? You can't re-enter a, a womb. That can be a difficult thing to hear. And then uh, we are going to be talking about this this week. So guys, give you a little preview of Arbor students. Jesus also looked at a, was talking to a very large crowd and said that in order to receive life, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, I know it's Halloween season, but that's a little weird. <laughs> that's, if, if, again, on our side of the resurrection, that can be some difficult things to hear. Now, what we are going to talk about, and what I think, um, what I found out with my life, what I found out um, just following Jesus is, when it comes to following, when it comes to listening, and when it comes to understanding Jesus, your outcome reflects your effort. Your outcome reflects your effort. So this morning, we're going to be looking at this based on the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. So you guys can look there, but before we jump in, I do want to remind you where we're at in the narrative right now. Uh, last week, uh, Mark, er, Scott talked to us about the parable of the sower. So where Jesus is at, contextually speaking, is he is currently on a boat there's a large crowd watching him, and he's wanting to speak to this crowd, realizes that his voice isn't amplifying, so he gets on a boat on a lake on water and starts teaching them. And then he teaches them the parable of the sower. But before that, if you guys remember, this is the sermon that we listened to before we took the, the break. Jesus had a very large crowd in front of him. And as he was teaching, there was actually two groups of people who wanted to seize him, wanted to capture him. Do you guys remember who those two groups of people were? I preached this, so don't fail me. <laughs> it was what? Scribes and Pharisees, but then one group that you wouldn't think of. I'll tell you. I need to work on this now. Thank you. That was my test of am I good at preaching? You just told me I'm not. Thank you very much. The <laughs> The other gets on us. <laughs> the other group was his family, actually, his mother and his brothers. They wanted to seize Jesus because they thought Jesus was out of his mind. 
And so the scribes were teaching everybody that Jesus is possessed by Satan, and that's how he's able to heal. And then if you remember, Jesus says, like, that's not accurate teaching. In fact, you're kind of flirting with the unforgivable sin doing that. So we learned about the unforgivable sin. Jesus' family wanted to capture him because they thought he was out of his mind. And if you remember in the narrative, Jesus was teaching the crowd. Somebody told Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brother? And he looks around this group and says, whoever does the will of God, you are my mother, you are my brother, you are my sister. So this is the same day. So as Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower, this is the same day that he had that conversation with the people. And we see a theme that, that runs through in this. And the, the theme is that Jesus clarifies distinction between those on the inside and those on the outside. He, see, he taught earlier, after he taught that all sins are forgiven except one, which is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, he explains who his mother and brother and sisters are. And then after preaching the parable of the sower, he talks to the 12 privately. They ask him the meanings of the parable. And Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand unless they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus clarifies there's a distinction between who's inside and who's outside. So this morning, our verse is going to be hitting that same theme because, again, this is the same day, kind of the same moment. So let's begin the text. Uh, Mark 41, 25. And let's do what we've been doing with this series, guys. Will you stand up for the word of God as we read this? And it says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Pray with me. Lord, we love your word in this room, and I pray that Man, after this message, Lord, that we just see your words differently in our life and that we can accept the challenges and, and accept somewhat of a pointed thing for you to say to us, Lord. Speak to me. Let these be your words. Let these not be mine. And Lord, and the people in this room, give, them the, give all of us the ears to hear, Lord. We pray this thing in your name. Amen. Yeah, I can sit down. So what I want to do this morning is kind of break this section down. We're going to look at, uh, majority of our time is going to be in what we just read. And then after, towards the end of the, this message, we'll read two other parables that Jesus says. But I do want to break down this first section by uh, presenting more questions to you guys. This sermon is really like internal discussion day. So I'll start it off with, when we look at this, this verse starts off in 20, 21 and says, And he said to them, and he said to them, he also writes this in verse 24. Now, there is some debate here of who is Jesus speaking to here. It says, and he said to them. We know from the beginning that Jesus is on a boat speaking to a very large crowd. But in verse 10 and 11, we actually learn that Jesus was speaking privately with the 12. It says, 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So here we are. The next thing is this moment. And Mark just writes, and he said to them. So the question is, who is them? Is Jesus speaking to the very large crowd still, or is this still a private conversation between the twelve? would love for you guys to, to think about that. And I'll tell you, as Jesus, there's the majority of the teaching would be that Jesus is actually speaking to the crowd. Now, if that's the case, if you're like, no, I think he's speaking to the crowd, well, let's keep reading. So Jesus says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus asked a rhetorical question. He asked, does a lamp get brought in for you to cover the lamp? So you don't have the illuminating factors. Of course, the answer to that is no. So he's talking about this lamp, or the kingdom of God, or his mission as the Messiah to, to reveal who he is and what the kingdom of God is. So this lamp that, that is taught is he is saying that he, as the Messiah, the kingdom of God, it is not supposed to be hidden that this is, is the secret would be revealed through him, through his missions, and through who he is. And ex- specifically, through us as disciples to share this message. Now, I will say, this is common. This is the common teaching for this parable. Edwards, in his commentary, says that Jesus is a lamp of God who has come to bring light and revelation. And Timothy Gomba says this. He holds the same view. He says, the kingdom is not going to remain hidden, It is meant to be revealed, and Jesus is making it known in his preaching, in his ministry, and in the movement he is building. Just as a lamp illuminates a dark room, revealing what was previously not visible, the kingdom's hiddenness is moving towards disclosure, revelation, and open demonstration. So again, this is a common belief, and this is most likely what you have heard preaching before. However, there are some who believe that Jesus is still having a private conversation with the 12. And when those who hold this belief is said that what Jesus is referring to as the lamp is actually the meaning of the parables. So as, Jesus, as the 12 asked, hey, what, what does this mean? Well, Jesus explains the parables. He also explains their approach to the parables. Like, how are you, how are you going to teach this if you don't know the meaning? So then we get to this section where Jesus says, nothing is hidden. Everything's supposed to be revealed. And so the teaching would be that Jesus is saying that everything is available for everyone. Like the meaning of the parable, they're available for everyone. Alan Black says, if verses 21 through 22 are directed to the disciples in the context of their question about the meaning of the parables, then the lamp may refer to the meaning of Jesus' parabolic teaching. Although Jesus teaches in a form that obscures his message for those outside, his message is meant to be made known and will be made known to the disciples through his explanations. His message is not meant to be hidden under a bowl or a bed, but set up on a lamp stand as a source of light, that the parables are available to all. Now you're probably sitting there and you're wondering, all right, who is Jesus addressing? The answer, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) I can see both meanings. I can see both interpretations. I can see that the lamp could be Jesus. It could be the kingdom of God. Or the lamp could be the meanings of his parables. However, if you want my answer, I kind of take like 
both stance. The parables are meant to show who Jesus is and his kingdom. So the answer is pretty much the same. So he could be talking to the large crowd, or he could be talking to the 12 privately. The meaning is still the same, that Jesus, his mission, the kingdom of God, will be revealed. But I will say, as this verse continues, I do kind of lean towards that he's actually talking to the 12 privately, because the next section is about his parables, about the parabolic meanings. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See here, Jesus is referring to his parables. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure that you hear them. And this is very similar to what he says in verses 11 through 12. R.T. France says, the same parables are heard by both insiders and outsiders. The difference lies in how they hear them rather than in what they hear. Mark's sense is clear enough. A call to pay careful attention to what is heard. So Jesus is saying is, pay attention to my teachings. Because his teachings are powerful. His teachings are transformative. His teachings have eternal life. See, that is what Jesus said in John's gospel. After he talked about the eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he said to the crowd, do you take offense to this? Then what if you, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. See, his words are everything. His teaching are everything. Don't take them for granted. So Jesus says, pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear, because this is a warning, it is a reminder, and it is a reality. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Your outcome reflects your effort, is what Jesus is saying. What you put into the meanings of the parable is what you are going to get out of it. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Contemplative Pastor, and Speaking on Parables, says Jesus continually threw odd stories down alongside ordinary lives, which is the meaning of a parable, and walked away without explanation or altar call. Thank you, Jesus. Then listeners started seeing connections, God connections, life connections, eternity connections. The very lack of obviousness, the unlikeness, was the stimulus to perceiving likeness, God-likeness, life-likeness, eternity-likeness. But the parable didn't do the work. It put the listener's imagination to work. Parables aren't illustrations that make things easier. They make things harder by requiring the exercise of our imaginations, which, if we aren't careful, becomes the exercise of our faith. See, Jesus throws out these parables, not to make it easier for us, but actually to put some more work on us. As Eugene Peterson says, it requires the exercise of our imagination. No, I wish, I wish it was effortless to comprehend Jesus. I really do. I, I wish it didn't take as much brain power it was to learn from him, but if that was the case, I wouldn't have school loans that I'm paying back right now. But you see, Jesus' teachings, it takes effort on our part. And what we hear is this is intentional. 
This is intentional on Jesus because he taught in a way that his listeners were actually going to self-select. It is up to us how much we get out of the teachings and the parable of Jesus. It's up to us to have a deeper relationship with him. It's up to us to put work into this so it's not just all take. And there is a little bit of give from Jesus' own followers. We determine how much understanding we receive and how much we lose. To the amount of effort we put in understanding the life and way of Jesus and his words and teachings, it will be measured back to us. How much we put into it, that is how much will be given back to us. Our outcome reflects our effort, just like with everything in our lives. If we don't apply ourselves, then we will not improve. But what Jesus is saying is the opposite would happen. We could actually digress if we don't put effort into it. As Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. For the one who has not, even what he has, it will be taken away. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this isn't a teaching on finances. Jesus is kind of speaking on the economics of spirituality. So those who are open to his teachings, they will learn more. But those who are spiritually obstinate will never learn and will, in fact, lose more. Now, you might ask, how can that happen? How can you lose more? I want to share a story about my son, Cade. I do a lot. I love my son. Um, my son right now, he's at pre-K, and he loves school. It's so cool to see how much he loves it. Uh, last week, he had to miss a day because he was sick, and he was so angry. And I know that's not going to last forever, but as of right now, I'm going to fully take advantage of my son just loving school. But here's something that's really cool that's happening. My son's favorite part about school is that there's a teacher that is teaching him words in Spanish. And so every day he's coming home teaching me these Spanish words. So he's learning how to count. He's, uh, he's been learning uh, how to say rain in Spanish, which, you know, will come real, quite a bit in handy here. But the thing that's been fun is he's been, he's been learning his colors, how to say the different colors in Spanish. Now here's where the story takes a turn for the worst. Last week, we were watching the Niner-Cowboy game. Go Niners. They beat the Cowboys. It was great. But my son looks at me and goes, Dad, are we going for rojo or are we going for azul, red or blue? If you know, those of you who don't know Spanish. And I was like, son, we are a house of rojo. We go for rojo. And he goes, nope. Let's go azul. I was like, no, no. I was like, I don't know to be proud or angry right now. I'm really conflicted right here. And just know, he will cheer for the Seahawks. It's really frustrating. Like, it, like, it happened last year, and he just now realizes, oh, the team, and is saying their color in Spanish. So, again, I'm like, I'm proud of you, but also disappointed. So, must be like how God feels about us, right? <laughs> so, that's my son. Now, I truly believe this. I took three years of Spanish in high school. But I'm pretty confident that my son, by the end of this year, is going to know more Spanish words than me. Why is that? It's because I haven't used Spanish since I graduated high school. I've done nothing with it. I haven't exercised that muscle. I've just let it go. So I have definitely have lost a lot of that knowledge. 
Same thing when it came to Bible college. And when I was at Bible college, I took three years of Koine Greek, which is the New Testament Greek language. When I graduated college, because that class was really hard, those three years were difficult, I've never used it since. And so I have lost the ability to be able to look at the New Testament in its original language and try and translate it without using a whole bunch of aids or just chat GBT telling me. But for you, I, I want to ask you, what is that in your life? What did you have just great knowledge for, but you kind of lost the, the, the want to do it or desire or passion, and now you found yourself losing some knowledge, some information without the repetition of it? Here's an easy one. Do you guys think you can still do the same math that you did in high school? No. <laughs> and they changed math, so. But like, there's no way. There's no way I could do the same algebra equations or statistical, like, I don't even know how to do it on the calculator. That's how bad I've probably have lost it. Let me ask you, another good one is, is there a recipe that you did like 10 years ago? Do you still remember how to make that dish? Probably not. Yes, because you got some great memories. But yeah, that's, that is what Jesus is saying here, is if you don't pursue it, if you don't put your effort into it, not only are you not going to gain, you're actually going to lose. You're going to lose the things that you may think that you even know right now. So Jesus is saying those, give careful and obedient attention to what Jesus is saying because you will get a greater understanding of it. The more time you spend and the more work you put into understanding Jesus, the more you're going to get. Those who do not, those who don't put effort into this, you're going to lose the knowledge. You're going to start forgetting the things that we should know, that we should have in our hearts. Your outcome reflects your effort. So Jesus has left it up to us, his people, his disciples, to self-select, to, to put as much effort into it as we want to put into it. And he's saying it will be measured to you. It will be measured to you how much you do in this. So he shared this with the 12, or he shared it with a very large crowd. Again, I'm not sure. He gives this warning. He gives a challenge to work for the meanings of the parable. So he kind of like drops, like he, he, he preaches the parable of the sower, gives the meaning, says, hey, also like, the meaning's available for, for everyone. The meaning's available for everyone, but also you need to put work into it. If you have ears to hear, hear, but work for the meaning of this, or you're not going to get it. You're not going to get the understanding. So he drops this, and then Jesus starts preaching more parables. So you're like, oh man, Jesus, I got to put more work. And then Jesus gives us the opportunity, like, here's some more. Like, I just told you what you should do. I gave you the parable of the sower. You might not have been ready for that yet. Let me teach you the meaning of that. Let me teach you what you need to do for all parables. And now here's more parables. So here is where we are going to now read the next two parables that Jesus teaches in Matthew 4, 26 through 32. It says, and he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in the shade. See, like, parables, they are a little... Deceptive is a hard word. It's hard to say that Jesus is deceptive. But they, they come across so easy to understand. But when you actually, like, look into it and, like, start asking questions, it can be difficult, especially if you're not, like, poetic like myself. So Jesus finished up the parables. And I'm going to summarize these ones. He goes back to comparing to the kingdom, of, the kingdom to farming. We see the, another parable about seed growing. In this one, it says the farmer casts out the seed. And then he does his life every day. He wakes up. He rises night and day. But what the farmer doesn't know is what is happening in the growth underneath the ground. The farmer can't see that growth. But under the ground, there is significant growth in this, in this seed. It starts sprouting. It has a blade. And then it, and then it starts growing. And then the blade, the, the harvest is now ready. That is what the kingdom of God is like. Is there's so much work. There's a lot of things happening that we can't see. But out of nowhere, it's going to pop up and the harvest will be ready. And then Jesus says that the kingdom is like a grain of seed, which is sown to the ground. Jesus does not compare the kingdom of God to the mustard seed, but what happens to this mustard seed. The tiniest seeds grows into the greatest of shrubs. And how this happens, again, is veiled in mystery. The same thing that Jesus implies is true to the kingdom of God. But it's so big that it makes homes for birds. So, I hope you guys put, you know, the sermon to work right there with those two. But I really wanted to summarize that because I wanted to get to what Mark tells us next. And it says this in verse 34 and, verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So Mark tells us, and you can see this in Matthew, that Jesus just continued in parabolic teachings, and it says, as they were able to hear it. This just gives me, like, the image of, like, okay, Jesus just challenged us and like, trying to understand this, and now he just threw, like, ten at us. I don't know if you guys ever felt overwhelmed, maybe in this teaching or other teachings where you get a first point and then more points start coming. You're like, okay, I'm still, I'm still working on the first thing that you said, and now here's 20 other so I feel like that is happening. They're like, okay, Jesus kept teaching in parables where we were able to hear it. But another way to translate this is as they were able to understand it, which goes back to Jesus saying, if anyone has ears, let them hear. Let them understand. I'm going to close and the, the band can come back up. But see, I want to remind us that we are able to hear it. We are able to understand it by the work that we put into this. See, I want, I don't want to scare you because I did start this off by saying that Jesus clarifies the distinction between those who are in and those who are out. And, you know, if you're in this room, like, am I, am I on the outside of this? I don't understand most of the parables that Jesus teaches. I want to say that if that's your heart, Hayden, you guys can come up. Um, I want to say that if that is your guys' heart, you are in the right place. Like, if your heart is, I want to understand Jesus more, then you're, you're there. So I don't want you to worry. It's just now, let's put some action into this. You can take this. See, what I want is just for us to have a greater understanding of who Jesus is so we can understand what he says by being in a deeper relationship with him. The analogy that I can think of is, 
Have you guys ever been around your friends with kids? And you enter their house, right? And you like you say, Hi, how how you doing? And you see their kid, and you're like, Hi, buddy. And he goes, and I uh, I and I I uh, we I in the swing. And you're like, and mom goes, Oh, he just he told us that we he told you we went to the park today. Like, <laughs> oh <laughs> now those of you you've been in that moment where you're like you did not understand the kid, but you look at the parent like, how did you get that? Like, how did, you, how did you understand that? But then those of you who have kids, you know that moment. You're like, you can see, hear your kids speaking like, oh, yeah, you, you, you couldn't get that? You don't you understand what he said? This is what he's clearly saying to you. See, that is what it's like being with Jesus. And that's what it's like when you put more work into it. You start understanding it. So that when Jesus does say some weird things like, you need to eat my flesh to have eternal life, that you're not in the crowd going, oh, who's this? Oh, that's Jesus. Oh, man, I love this guy. I heard so much about him. You must eat my flesh. This must be the opening act. Who is this guy? (laughs) I want us that when we hear Jesus, we understand everything that he's saying, that we get it because we've spent time with him, that his, his words are not foreign to us, that they're home, and they're the home that we're going to, that they are the eternal life that his words are. Is that what Jesus told us? His words are eternal life. So don't take them for granted. Don't just hear them and just walk past like, oh yeah, that was, that was a great image. Thank you, Jesus. But be in it. Now, if you're wondering, Brian, what do I do? What can I do to, to actually put more work into this? I'll give you three, three steps when it comes to following Jesus. Can you show the the three steps there, Tom? Three actions. What'd you say? They're not on there? All right. The three steps is one, spend time in his word. Two, ask questions. And then three, pursue the answers. Spend time in his word. Ask questions pursue answers. I feel like that third one is where we stop. Pursue the answers. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I wish you can give us more understanding, but I know that you have it already available for us if we decide to take that step forward to pursue your meaning and to pursue who you are in these words. Spirit, guide us convict us and take us to the meaning of Jesus' words so we can understand him that in a sense we can be interpretations for other people through our words, through our actions of who you are. Lord, I pray that the people in this sanctuary, the people who are listening, man, they just get a love of your word. A love and a passion to spend more time in it, whatever time there's available for them, to know you more, to know your kingdom more. Jesus, we pray this thing in your name. Amen.